Welcome to the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley, and we are bringing to you today the Propaganda Report, where we take stories from the week or the day out of the newspaper or off the internet and tell you what they really mean. Not with the news they say they're trying to deliver to you, but the message they're trying to get through. So, and it's basically my viewpoint that all the stuff that you're getting out of the mainstream media is propaganda. So we should have plenty of material for this. Uh, Without further ado, Brad, are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Let's get to the bottom of the news. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I pulled some stories uh, I didn't really discuss them with you. You pulled some stories. So let's just uh, take turns and I'll go first. All right. Okay. All right. Go for it. Uh, this isn't necessarily the the pinnacle of this story, but I followed this story and it's huge in the big picture. Obama went to Asia today and he's going to the G20 meeting in China. And the Wall Street Journal said one of the things he's going to promote during this Asian tour is the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the TPP. It is. uh, Yeah. Yeah. What? Yes. On Jimmy Fallon. Did you see him uh, do the song? I'm down with the TPP. No. They they do a slow jam. And Jimmy Fallon is uh, he goes, are you are you down with the TPP? And Obama says, yeah, you know me like that old 80s song. Yeah, that's that's pure propaganda yeah, delivered with with humor. Of course, now if you had said Jimmy Fallon said I'm not down with the TPP, I'd be like, really? But they yeah. those late night comedy shows are the way to deliver, in my opinion, to young voters oh the meme they need, right? Well, yeah, I, I'll I'll say something about that later on. But yeah, you're totally right. They're so in the left's pocket right now. Yeah, John Stewart. I remember when my niece was coming of age. And I had read an article about it, but I knew it was true about her. She got the majority of her news, if not, I think maybe all of her news from John Stewart. <laughs> right. So anyway, so what the journal says, I get, I don't get any news from the journal. I read it every day, but it's just to see what the, what the agenda is, not what the news is. So they say the TPP is a cornerstone of Mr. Obama's so-called Asia rebalance which has aimed to strengthen U.S. relations with China while establishing establishing closer ties with other countries in the region as a counterweight to Beijing's growing influence. And to me, that's two opposite things. Either they're going to strengthen relations with China or they're going to enter the TPP, which excludes China. Right. Isn't that what George Soros has been trying to get them to do? Well, here's the, the thing that Barry Goldwater actually cited this in in his, I think it was called No Apologies or The Mind of a Conservative, something like that, The Conscience of a Conservative. He said, I think it was No Apologies. He said the Trilateral Commission, which was this three-pronged thing, it was uh, Japan, the Americas, and Europe, that they were trying to make a supranational economic, almost like government, that would rule the world, basically. And that's what this this is doing, because the TPP has in it a provision that transnational companies 
can sue a local government for damages if the government passes a law that violates this agreement. So if you, I read, I listened to a really good podcast on Lions of Liberty, which I'll post when we post this on, in the show notes. And one of the things the gal highlighted was this particular provision, which to me is the absolute worst. It's this, it's the kernel of this world government thing, world economic government. So that if LA bans fracking, but the TPP allowed it, that a company, BP or whatever, well, it wouldn't be BP, but it would be like an Asian company, could sue LA for the damages for like lost profits. So LA could either pay up or change its law. And and LA doesn't sign on to the TPP. So you understand how it would be like a major uh, impairment to our ability to make our own laws? That's crazy. That's It's crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. You don't want to believe of- it. Right. And I mean, and that's the type of information that helps me like understand the uh, how the one world government idea takes away a lot of our powers, because I know it's such an abstract thing. But when it can be localized like that and people can feel the real impact of it, I, I think that that's I think that that's a good way to to help people kind of wake up to it. You know, yes. And it's and these things, these U.N. initiatives, I've noticed they have local elements to them and they have regional elements to them. And the world thing, but they they have to get to the local level to be able to control every aspect of your life. They have to get in there, and they do. But this gal's analysis, because I thought that was how it worked, but she really digs in. She's what they call a policy wonk, <laughs> and <laughs> and she has a few podcasts on the TPP, which I'm going to listen to, and I will post. But here was the thing I had mentioned, just to wrap it up, that last year when I talked about this, that uh, they gave the not only Obama but the next president as well. Trade Promotion Authority, which basically abdicates the duty. Uh, I believe it's the Senate has to have 60 votes or it's a supermajority to okay a treaty because that supersedes, that's like the law of the land. It's in the Constitution. The treaty is the law of the land. So these guys, it's supposed to have a supermajority, more than just a 51 vote, vote on it. And by giving this Trade Promotion Authority they said at any time over the next six years, all they need is a simple, like up-down vote, a simple majority. So, so even if Congress and the Senate and stuff changes hands, and we vote to have us more people who would be against it, they the bar is lower. And Mitch McConnell had said, or a leak came out, which sometimes I think leaks are fake. This seemed like a, a valid last October. There was a meeting of John Boehner, who was the. Uh, the Speaker of the House at the time and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, their chiefs of staff basically said in a closed meeting, which was leaked, that the TPP is dead until the lame duck session. So they were planning to vote for it after the elections this November, like in December, oh, just wow. to, yeah, like people who could not be held accountable. Right. So, so they're, yeah. So that, what does that, what does that essentially mean um, once yeah, they the vote? The implications. For that? Yeah. So one thing about the lame duck is that if you've already been voted out, what do you care? You can basically sell your vote. And if you have just been reelected and you're a senator, you get six more years. People forget about it. But but what I think is going to happen, it's not only the Pacific one that the the trade promotion authority is going to matter for. It's the Atlantic one. Maybe maybe Brexit was a precursor to. The UK joining, having its own negotiating power in an Atlantic one. So over the next six years, if they build these 
two treaties, one across the Atlantic and one across the Pacific, you're actually in a position to sew the kind of trilateral regions together across the Atlantic and the Pacific. And then they have plug-in provisions. So Russia and China can just plug in any time. And there's your world government. So this thing freaks me out. There was, according to Bernie Sanders, good news that uh, McConnell signaled that they would not bring it to a vote during the lame duck session. But I, uh, I don't have faith in that. The administration said... Uh, White House officials said they still see a path to legislative approval for the pact. But in any case, Hillary, in my opinion, wouldn't hesitate to sign it if she could get away with it. And I feel like after our experience with TARP and Obamacare, where even if the majority can doesn't want it, they still get away with it. So I fully expect her to sign that. So that's my uh, still scared of the TPP <laughs> news report for the day. How, how do we help? Like, because... I don't understand a, a lot of that. I I get the TPP now more than I did, say, maybe a year ago. But h- how do we help people kind of wrap their head around that in ways that, that um, you know, that the average person can relate to? You know, it's such a, you know, international politics is so, it's such a foreign thing, no pun aside. For Yes. You know. All I ever try to think about when it comes to this stuff you don't have to understand. I think the whole premise of the American experiment was that, that the founders realized if you were going to have representative government, you couldn't empower the government to do things that the people couldn't make good opinions about. So the answer, of course, is that you empower the government to do very little. They, even George Washington in his farewell address said, don't have don't make enemies and don't make allies because that gets you into trouble. So what I say the touchstone should be always the constitution and the bill of rights. And yes, treaties do rise to the level of, uh, of the highest law of the land from a simple reading of the constitution. It sure seems like that. But when, when these guys abdicate the congressional requirement for the TPP to go through at 60 votes or whatever it is, that's when a red flag should go up. So you don't have to understand it. You just have to know that the answer is no, because if it violates the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, it certainly can't ensure the Tenth Amendment, which means that the subsidiary governments, the states, have all power not delineated to the Constitution. People should just think of it that way. And you don't have to understand it. Our system isn't made up. For us to understand international politics, we're supposed to be minding our own business. And the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans were actually cited by Washington in the farewell address as our insurance that we never have to get deeply involved in those in other countries' activities. Just trade freely and really, truly free trade. And this stuff, if you don't understand it, say no. Right. And, and that's a great explanation. Um, <laughs> what's challenging is the... Uh, for climate change, for example, is they they sell these international agreements under the guise of a social good. So people are like, yes, we better enter into these agreements. Otherwise, the globe is going to explode. Have you read the report from Iron Mountain? I haven't read the whole thing. But you've heard of it. Or you've seen it. Yeah. I've I've gone through pieces of it. You recommended it a while back, and I, I uh, downloaded it. I recommend it. it every single show, basically. Even though I hate to be a broke record, but it's like 80 pages, and it says in there 
we need issues that will justify a world government. Let's make up an environmental problem. <laughs> but you have to be really good at it because scientists are going to say, what are you talking about? Or you could actually pollute the earth on purpose, but you might get caught. I mean, it says stuff like that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So for me, the climate change thing is actually, I, I don't even think there is not an environmental problem. I think there's a lot of uh, pollution and stuff, chemical pollution, especially in other countries. So... Uh, for me, I don't think there's any um, that, that you should ignore the environment. But if you go back, so pollution is a real thing, in my opinion. The climate change, uh, if you if you look at like carbon dioxide, you could argue, you could definitely argue the science. I don't think carbon dioxide is the problem because that makes plants grow and people like that. So it's good for animals too. But uh, but like pollution, way back when. In, uh, in England during the Industrial Revolution, people were suing factories for spewing soot onto their land, onto their trees, into their air, and the factories were losing in courts of common law. So the government stepped in and said, industry is too important. We're going to take away the private property owner's right to sue. So you don't, so the, the government makes these central decisions that can be catastrophic. Look at China, it's probably the biggest government in the universe you know, that ever existed. And they have the worst pollution. I mean, governments don't make the decisions that private property owners would and could make in just simple justice of the courts. Right. And, and uh, the climate change issue for me, I, I completely agree. I think that there probably uh, are a lot of factors that influence it. But the whole idea that it's just set in stone and, and the book is closed on it is just that, that's where I'm like, that's clearly political. And I think I told you about the study. Uh, that I found where they discovered that there were oceans inside of the earth that are larger than the combined oceans on the surface. And they believe yeah. that instead of coming from comics, they think that water was already here. And I, I hear that and I'm like, wouldn't that change the entire way we understand how climate works? And wouldn't that be something that would be hugely important for the climate change discussion? Well, I actually did look into that a little bit after you said it, and I could not understand the science either. Like, that that's yeah. just something I can't understand at all. Uh, but I find that things like that that seem to – that would work against the agenda or the, the, the little factoids, I guess, that work towards the agenda, anything that would uh, change the narrative gets no press whatsoever. Yeah, it gets out. Anything disconfirming is gone. And that's Yeah, you see that with evolutionary stuff too. I think evolution is way more complicated than the Darwin uh idea that's just random mutation and sexual selection that just wipes out entire species, every single solitary mutation. It just doesn't make sense. I think it's way more complicated. And I think the scientists really do struggle with that, but they'll never discuss that because it's uh because it's just against the science that they use to promote the politics that they like. Right. And they don't want people finding out about aliens that might have come down and changed the DNA in our brains. So, <laughs> uh, I've Googled that too, and I've looked into it, and that's just one of those things. It's called forbidden history. It's real. Yeah. But I just can't get my mind back. I was actually talking about all these little articles I've read recently over the past year or two about how when they're doing DNA testing, they're finding a lot of these skulls that they thought were different human species aren't. So like that, I read two or three articles like that. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe that means that humans like didn't 
evolved the way they said and whatever. And you just, you know, just crickets. I was just fascinated from a scientific point of view. And you cannot get anyone to say, wow, this could really change the way we think about human evolution. You're never going to hear it. I know. And it's crazy because to, to think that we know all that there is when we're in a universe that's like of infinite size on a, on a ball that's kind of slinging around in the middle of it, it just seems absurd to feel certain about anything. Yes. And, and the funny thing is the people who are most certain don't even realize that there's stuff behind the scenes in our on earth like that human beings are doing they're like oh there's no shadow powers you're a conspiracy theorist like really and you're positive you know what's happening in the fifth dimension you don't even know what's happening in the hague Uh uh-uh right so anyway they don't trust their boss you know but they trust the government to you know be yes yes all that that uh the good people rise to the top the intellectuals who know everything happens to all be sitting at the top Right. Anyway. Okay, I have a story here that's uh, I think probably a lot of people have heard of. Is Colin Kaepernick, the backup quarterback mm-hmm. for the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. About la- last week sometime uh, during their third preseason game, I believe, he did not stand. He went and sat down during the national anthem as a protest. Oh. And he was protesting based on what he said because he said that police officers are targeting black men they're they're oppressed and so he's not going to stand up for a flag in a country where there's so much inequality yeah i saw that yeah and then today or he came out so yesterday they had another game and it was uh in honor of the military and there was gonna be they were like is he gonna sit again because it's gonna be really disrespectful and he did sit right and after this is what I found the most fascinating about um about this story I have some strong opinions on it. it it is after the game, he said, all those people that were booing me, they, they misunderstand. They misunderstand what I'm saying. And the media has made it sound like I am anti, anti-patriotic. I am anti-people in the military. I am anti-America. And, and that is not true. And when I read that, I, was, I thought about it and I said, you know what else the media distorts? The media had, has made you, Colin Kaepernick, believe that police officers are willingly going out and murdering black people and that black people are actively going out and, and trying to kill police officers. Well, you know, mm-hmm. It turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy, but he described what happened to him after that game as the exact same reason why he, why he believes that police officers are targeting people. I don't get it. You have but, to – yeah, Break the, it down the, way, for me. the way that he did this is all right. So Colin Kaepernick, yes. his position is very clearly, I'm against the police. The way that he's talked about it, he might not right. believe that, but the initial presentation, the presentation in the media has developed that perception. So right. what he's done is not united anybody. He's he's created a further divide, and I believe if he continues down this path, he's going to be responsible for for violence because. People oh, will, can I make a point there? Yeah, go ahead. My feeling was the same. Was that was that. It's counterproductive. I mean, you, you, I've said it on the air and you've heard me say this, where the, when people started to wake up to the fact that the police were getting more authoritarian, more militarized, more centralized in their control, that they were really becoming a problem. SWAT teams were proliferating. No-knock raids were bubbling up to the surface. All these things that were making everybody feel like it was an us versus them thing. Then you got a real 
Then, then they completely changed the narrative from the top. Eric Holder said he went to uh, Florida to try to get people to protest the Zimmerman Trayvon Martin uh, trial, and they wanted to change the narrative. I think so that nothing would ever be done. It's totally counterproductive. We would all benefit if the and I don't think it's rogue police, and I don't I think it's and it, the, they're. I think there is systematic racism in the entire system, but I don't think it's that racism is the problem. It's a, to- a changing tone of the police. And I just want to read one quick tweet I got from Vince saying, uh, you called it. And and he had linked to me an article. The headline was, leaked Soros memo reveals potential plan to use Black Lives Matter to federalize U.S. police. I mean, every single element of that wow. I've mentioned before. and. It said that you in the document? It, well, that's the headline. And the document yeah. talks about, uh, pieces things together from, from documents I had also pieced together. <laughs> My husband was like, hmm, <laughs> I think you actually refer to all those things. And so somebody wrote an article about what you just said. But I, I think it, it's just these things, it, they're bubbling up. I mean, it's, it emerges in parallel because the, it's so obvious if you're looking for it. But, uh, but that, that's the thing. It, it actually cha- it, it flips what could have happened. What could have happened is you could have gotten more control over the police. We could have all banded together. We could have found unity in this issue. And exactly. instead, instead, it's not only just dis- dissolving the unified resistance. It's actually turning half, maybe both sides to wanting more. We exactly. need more cops. We need, uh, we need to federalize the cops because... Uh, cops are racist, so we need to federalize it. Or uh, these people are killing cops. We need outside help. It's it's uh, it's sinister, really. I, would, I was going to call it clever, but it's actually sinister. It's clever and sinister. Yes, it is. What they well, how they create a lot of that tension is the the media. It's a it's a complex, deep layer of propaganda that's going on all the time, and real events happen, but. Stuff like Colin Kaepernick's protest uh, fuel fuel the events, and it's a form of propaganda. I don't think he realizes it, but the media essentially takes these two groups. I'm going to simplify it. I'm you know I'm not going to go to the deep layers of it. Um, so I'm going to try to do it as much justice as possible. But you have police officers, you have uh, people in the black community, right? And what the media has done is they have held these two groups up in the spotlight, and they have taken the worst of each. The, the worst of each, and they have turned the worst of each into a stereotype. So the police officer who wants yes. to brutally yes. go out and kill, and then the, the black man in the uh, poor community who wants to go murder police, and they have taken those stereotypes, and they have labeled the entire group as those stereotypes. So people are and reacting. And I think that on both sides, there are agents provocateur. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, when you look at the Dallas, I posted something on tw- Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, or you should just join Twitter just to get <laughs> these links. So I'll put them in the show notes for this thing. Uh, it, I, a couple of videos that showed a citizen journalist trying to talk to some Dallas police and other kind of police. Like there was like three different kinds of police, police, a trooper, and it looked like a like craft mercenary guy. And were then they all there were standing on the corner. Did you not see that video? It was crazy. So. Oh yeah, they, there were a couple of guys standing there. And the citizen journalist goes up to talk. And then the trooper and the craft guy looked like craft. Craft uh, was Chris Kyle's thing right before oh, right, Chris got yeah. killed. Like it started to change. 
So they they basically take their hats off and start messing with their hair, and then other cops come over. And then these totally fake tourists, I mean, it's laughably fake tourists, run up to the citizen journalist and stick their iPhones up against his camera so he stops recording. There are two videos that, yeah, it's crazy. You got to see it. Sounds like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, it is. It was ridiculous. And uh, and it made it... uh, I forget what's going the cop, with that. The cops are standing there and the citizen journalist. Yeah, so they so they just go away. The citizen journalist um, kind of outs these cops as uh, being in on it. And um, it's really an amazing uh, video. You got to see it. And it, it basically proves the point, oh, that the agents provocateur are there. Because the Dallas shooter... Of course, there were multiple shooters witnessed in the first place, and then that narrative goes away. And what the citizen journalist was actually filming was the blown-out windows where the bomb went off, but it wasn't in a parking garage. It was, like, in the ground floor of some other kind of building. And that's what he was saying. He was like, why why did your police chief say it was in a different location when there is no blown-out parking garage, only this, and you're guarding it? Like, what's the real story here? And, boy, they... We're having none of it, but but then who were the other two guys? You know what really what really happened? That's crazy. They're probably paying those guys ten dollars an hour too, and they never expected somebody to come ask those questions. Yeah, it was a bummer because then you see that they just closed ranks, and it made me sad because I I always give the benefit of the doubt that that these guys just you know aren't they don't know anything's wrong, but right. these guys must have known. I mean, they had to have known. Right, and I want to try one more time to uh, see if I can explain that first part of Colin Kaepernick's story again. Because I think I got. I'm probably it. just going to interrupt you again, but no, okay. You, you helped me. Uh, um, you helped me direct my thoughts with that story. Okay. So Colin Kaepernick yesterday. So, all right, what happened to him basically is he is fed this propaganda from the media, and the propaganda is presenting those opposing stereotypes. Now, those two stereotypes, the um, black man in the poor community and the brutal police officer, the worst of the worst that are blanketed to everybody in those groups, those two stereotypes will always be at war. And people react to those stereotypes. Those stereotypes are not the individuals. So Colin Kaepernick, just like yeah. the police officers, were painted by the media as evil people who will murder people. Colin Kaepernick is painted by the media as anti-American who opposes yes, military people. But here's the thing. What he did was ambiguous. Like to do that, I feel like that is so uh, typical of how this particular movement comes down. You never see the whole video. It's always They never show you videos of where it's like clear-cut, ridiculous, Totally unfair. I'm sure there are tons of videos like that. They always show you the one where, well, he was running away from a robbery or that's what the guy thought. And you don't see the beginning or the end. They're always trying to make it so that each side can read what they want onto the pages that aren't there. So this guy is getting up there doing something that could uh, what what I personally do object to our crazy unjust wars. But that that disrespecting the flag thing was always associated with commie hippies, you know, in the 60s. Uh, So he's doing something that's going to make the same people who uh, are on the cop side because it's really dividing into left and right, as usual, you know, not real, you know, whatever. So they, they see that symbol, that symbolic action has so much baggage 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just, why couldn't he wear uh, a, you know, black armband, you know, like in mourning? He could have done a million other things. Yeah. So that. this thing was so charged, so politically and emotionally charged. He's that, pushing uh, away. Yeah. yeah. The very people that ha he has to work with and cooperate with, he's like pushing them away and insulting them and calling them murderers at the very beginning of his protest. I mean, that's, that's no way to uh, find a common ground. Yes. Well, the whole point of the, this particular operation is to distract us from the fact that it's all common ground. This issue of the problem with the police is that it's part of this whole world government plan. It's part of taking the policing away from the community, maybe away from Americans. Uh, that, that's been pointed out with these, with uh, someone called into the show recently and said NAFTA has a provision like this. And I saw the provision in the William Weld, Heidi Cruz collaboration, let's build a North American community for the Council of Foreign Relations. Oh, right. Saying there would be, yeah, would there be interoperability between the police and the army across Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. So if you, if your guys won't put you down uh, because they, they too want to defend the Constitution, there's going to be plenty of other people who will do it. And somebody at my Tea Party event at Praise the, the Lord Barbecue <laughs> um, in Buford a while back, well, that was the first time I had heard of that. And at first it sounds like anti-immigrant. It was like people from other countries will do it if they're in your police force and stuff. But it's not, it, they don't have to be in your police force. They don't think, I don't think that's the plan. It's the other, it's the, it's the law enforcement from the other countries when you have these kind of world government agreements and that's what they want. And there, there are regional police forces already in place that are trying to take away local control. That's the problem. Where's that happening? You said that's happening right now already. Well, I only even knew of it when baby boo-boo got a grenade thrown in his face that the intel came from a regional police operation, a regional police squad up there. They gave the local cops the intel and the local cops did the raid, but the operation came from regional cops. I don't, it's not on the tip of my tongue right now, but you can look it up. You can listen to my show on it. If you want the actual name of the of the regional squad, yeah, they was... had actually that regional squad also was responsible for the death of I believe it was a pastor or some kind of church worker had met a uh, an indigent drug addict and gave her help, like let her get met her somewhere that and gave her money or some kind of help in a car. It was a pastor. <laughs> she reached out to him and uh, and the cops came out and he didn't know they were cops. So he tried to get away and they killed him. I, I believe it was the same region, but that was also in Georgia. He tried to run and they shot him. I don't know if he got out of the car or if he was trying to drive away, but they shot him dead. I mean, th this is stuff I wasn't expecting to pull out, so I don't have the information yeah. on my fingertips, but I can I can link to that, too. Let me make a note of it. I'll link to the baby boo boo regional uh, police thing, but yeah, you never hear about it. That's crazy. The the instinctual reactions people have in interactions between police officers to to run, you know, it's a fight or flight. No, thing. but they weren't in. I don't think they were in uniform. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the problem. They don't know that that was the problem. He thought they were trying to attack him. My God! No, he wasn't trying to run. 
He would have put his hands up. I put my hands up, would have stopped a stoplight. There's a car. I put my hands on my steering wheel. Like, oh, I'm not using my phone. I, I, uh, you can see my hands. My God, I get so, my gosh, my gosh. I get so anxious. (laughs) I get so anxious when I see a cop. Just in, even if I see a cop on facing the other way, I'm like, he's going to look around. I did something wrong. There's a taillight out. What did I do? Yeah. And I never do anything wrong. Like I, I, when I was younger and didn't have money to, to keep up on everything, I used to get tickets and stuff. But now, you know, that's another thing. It's kind of regressive to have a lot of taxes and fees and uh, regulations and stuff on cars, things that people absolutely need to get to work to raise the bar on how much that costs to stay legal. And then you've got legal problems. It's kind of messed up. Anyway. I think I'm really getting off track now. <laughs> I'm getting off track too. I'm contributing to that. All right, right. That's, that's all I had for that story. What's okay. your next one? So I'll get, I'll get one. Uh, this is, let, let me do the Donald Trump one is short and then I have a Hillary one that's uh, a little bit longer, but let me do the Donald Trump one. It was this story today in the Wall Street Journal, Donald Trump and the mob. And it says, uh, his real estate developments in Atlantic City and New York brought the GOP nominee into regular contact with people who had ties to organized crime. He says he's the cleanest guy there is. Now, I'm just going to stop there. That was like the subtitle, whatever. <laughs> the, yeah, the hilarious thing is, I'm from New York. You don't hear like construction workers or construction companies and casino gambling and not think mob, okay? So I was already... Uh, and then, oh, and then like a parallel thing, it kind of dovetailed for me. I kept wondering, and I know I t- told you this, I kept wondering how Donald Trump formed his his savvy, his understanding of how to play the game, because he really does understand how to play the game, and he has for a long time. So what you're seeing is kind of like when Jeb was doing what he was doing during the primaries. You pointed out to me that he had been a CIA operative in Venezuela where he was posing as a bank, a banker, if I'm not mistaken in that. Uh, that's Anyway, that's word word on the deep web anyway. Yeah. So when he was a buffoon and spent $150 million super PAC dollars to go backwards in the polls and Trump spent zero to go forward, I mean, these guys are playing a game. And, and what I was thinking... So I also, so where did he get his savvy? I discovered that Roy Cohn was his kind of mentor. He was a protege of Roy Cohn's and Roy Cohn was his lawyer. And Roy Cohn was Joe McCarthy's lawyer, which could go either way. My mother loved Joe McCarthy, the House Un-American Activities Committee, but uh, the communist witch hunts thing. Uh, But Roy Cohn was a big mafia boss uh, lawyer in New York, and he was disbarred in 1986, right before he died of AIDS. And uh, he was really a controversial character. And, he talks uh, about how he met him in Art of the Deal. Oh, really? He wasn't his father's lawyer? He, you know, maybe he was his father's lawyer, but he talks about their first interaction anyway. Something about they're sitting down in a bar, and Trump, throughout the book, he's always about you know, testing people when he first meets them. So it was one of those, I like this guy, I like this guy thing, you know. Well, to, Roy Cohn probably taught him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he actually testified for Roy Cohn at that disbarment, even though he was disbarred anyway. Trump testified on his behalf. And yet, this is 1986. 
In January 2015, a fire destroyed the records of that testimony. No way. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am not making this up. January 2015. So who knows what it said in there? But anyway, my bigger picture point was, here is all this stuff that I've been aware of for the longest time. I actually bought the biography of Roy Cohn. I bought a 2004 book on Trump that talks about this stuff. I mean, the, and the Wall Street Journal is just a laundry list, a laundry list of all sorts of uh, what we used to call, I think, bent nose or whatever, mafiosos, union guys, uh, crooked kind of, uh, maybe they were not in the union, but they were those kind of operatives, political corruption, lawyers, whatever. They had this laundry list in the Wall Street Journal it, all the way to 2010 was the last one they mentioned in the journal. A guy named Felix Sater, Sater. He said uh, in 2010, well after Mr. Trump had learned of Mr. Sater's criminal background, 2010, the Trump Organization allowed Mr. Sater to be an unpaid consultant with space in Trump Organization offices, business cards calling him a senior advisor to Donald Trump. This and, and all this like weird money laundering stuff he did. Uh, and I was just wondering why the Wall Street Journal and Jeb Bush, who were these establishment guys who were terrified of Trump, the anti-establishment candidate, didn't bring this stuff out with all their resources a year ago. It's it's just obvious. It's when I started my hashtag on Twitter, hashtag lose on purpose. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Right. I, I think that I think that there's probably a little bit of ignoring it if they have a bigger plan. I think there's also the possibility that it's like a Mexican standoff of scandals of dirt you have on other people. You know, if you release this. Data, oh, yeah. I'm going to release that. But. They did release this. You know what I mean? I think that stuff gets always forever. That's why you get stuff like Operation Fast and Furious does never comes out, you know, or what happened in Mena, Arkansas. When it's stuff that's Republicans and Democrats, you can really be sure. Or maybe the day you show up for your first uh, day of work as a freshman in Congress, they slip you a roofie, <laughs> throw, right, throw you into a brothel and take some pictures of you. So to always, I, I've heard that if they vet you, and you're too clean, you don't get the job. Like a judge getting an appointment, if he's too clean, he fails the vetting process because they have nothing on him. How? Can, what was the what was the famous quote? How can you work with a guy like that? <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't want to take any drinks from anybody at any of these parties. No, so. you definitely. I I don't. I have read enough about that. The Franklin cover-up was one. Uh, thread to pull if you're interested in that. But that was all. I just, I find when these things are popping up now, as I predicted that once it was clear that Trump was the guy, they, uh, they wouldn't constantly pump him up in a positive way and ignore obvious, obvious uh, points that would turn people off. They could have made a lot of hay out of this one. See, right now I'm, I'm at the point where it's like, if Donald Trump is about to lose the election, and he does not drop the Jeffrey Epstein thing, then he mm -hmm. clearly is in on it. He's clearly working with it because he is. If you research it, he he comes he's, out he's, of that. Yeah, yeah, he comes out of it a lot he's cleaner clean on than it, right? Clinton. Yeah. yeah, at least I mean, we talked to about that. We right. talked about that on the last show. So if people want to look into that, I've done work on Jeffrey Epstein and that whole weird thing where uh, he had the underage sex slaves or. Um, 
at least that's what they claim to be. He went to jail, kind of, for a while. <laughs> Ken Starr was his lawyer. You know, it's just a lot of weird stuff. He's maybe even in military intelligence. I don't know what his story is, but it's worth investigating, and Trump's not bringing it up. Yeah, it's it's strange to me. I think I told you I made a comment on, speaking of the late night television shows, Seth Meyers, he has a, I can't remember who he took over, but I know David Letterman is the executive producer, but he did this segment called uh, A Couple of Things, and the segment was like three minutes long, and the whole thing was about how Trump, there was speculation that Trump had hired underage girls for his hotel, and he just insinuated that Trump was hooking up with underage girls and said absolutely nothing about Clinton, and I'm sitting here going, this is unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, that is. And, and, and- I, I, yeah. I made comments, and these liberals came in, <laughs> and I, I started putting facts and stuff. I only linked facts, and eventually one of them stopped trying to say that it wasn't true and started defending pedophilia. Oh, my gosh. No way. They started that's saying, well, crazy. It's, yeah, it's not illegal. You know, it's, and See, that's where, that's where we're headed. That's I the problem. Right. You, you predicted that a while ago. Uh, yeah, well, well, after I saw – What's after that? I don't know, because I thought I saw three stories of what's called genetic sexual attraction, where you go looking for your birth parents and you guys fall in love with each other. Oh <laughs> Do you hear about that? Three separate stories I read of three different people, couples oh, right. in the oh, past year. Yes. yes. And, God, yeah, they're getting crazy. Communities of people that like like AA, where all these people go and talk to each other because they're kind of isolated in society. I think it's pro, though. It's like a coalition, not a... It's not like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not like trying to quit. It's like, how do we change the laws? Exactly. I think there are like sanctuary places for it. But uh, someone was asking me, how would, why would Jeb go along with it? Why would Jeb play that game? And there's lots of reasons. I mean, but, but just the biggest picture is this Bush. So these are going to be the presidents. George Bush, Bill Clinton, George Bush. Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, they all have the same foreign policy. People don't believe it, but you got to just look at what's happening. They're reshaping the Middle East. They're getting rid of secular Arab leaders. They're setting up the clash of civilizations. But I was trying to think, who is the next Bush? Who did Jeb give it up for? And then I realized that his son could be our first Hispanic president, George P. Bush. There you go. George P. Bush. And he's absolutely, his mother, I think, is Colombian. Uh so he's as Hispanic as Obama is African-American. Obama is actually African-American <laughs> because his yeah. father's from Africa. Right. But this guy's mother, uh, Jeb, George P. Bush's mother is Columbia. And I just feel like it's time for another George Bush <laughs> and also a Hispanic president. So just making a real far out, long way off prediction. I think it's a great uh, prediction. And, and- we ought to start tracking him now, you know, because every time somebody becomes president, it's always like, why can't I find any information about their past? Yes. Well, or the documents get burned down the a month before you announce. We ought to start collecting social media pictures, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, well, he did. I think all of Jeb's Bush's, at least two sons and one daughter, the daughter had serious drug problems, but they were arrested. I think maybe all of them were DWI or, or disorderly conduct. So I know the kid has had some trouble, but they forgive that, you know. So we'll see. Yeah, what, do you have another? I have one more. I have the Hillary speech. You go thing. ahead with the Hillary speech. Okie dokie. So this speech, I was listening to it on the radio, and I was like, 
I was anticipating the things she was about to say, and I uh, was pretty right about it. And it's an opportunity to just explain a couple of things that uh, I I've mentioned before, but but it's hard to really for people to sink in. And once once it really sinks in, you can hear it coming too. But my I thought her speech, which was at the American Legion, is her. Uh, her basically coming out as why I became a neoconservative. <laughs> like that's what the speech was to me. <laughs> yeah. Because she was just, she might as well have been George Bush, either one of them for how she was talking. And the, she's the kind of Republican that Republicans don't think of like Republican voters are, aren't really, it's like the worst kind of Republican. It's these neoconservatives where they, actually called for uh, Irving Kristol's book about neoconservatism calls for a conservative welfare state. They don't care about that. They just care about shaping the world. And that's what the left most objects to. Of course, they don't object to the welfare state. They object to the reshaping the world. And that's the kind of Republican Hillary is. So let me read this uh, speech or we can play a clip. Here's what she says. The United States is an exceptional nation. I believe we are still Lincoln's last best hope of Earth. Wow, this supposed to be honor. We're still Reagan's shining city on a hill. We're still Robert Kennedy's great, unselfish, compassionate country. And it's not just that we have the greatest military or that our economy is larger than any on Earth. It's also the strength of our values, the strength of the American people. Everyone who works harder, dreams bigger, and never, ever stops trying to make our country and the world a better place. And part of what makes America an exceptional nation is that we are also an indispensable nation. As soon as she said that, I knew I, I was waiting for one other word. Uh, but let me just pause to say, to give you like a heads up of what I'm thinking of. People think you can ask. I've never asked. I have asked Republican voters this and I've always gotten the same answer. What do you think of American exceptionalism? What does that mean to you? And what they say, what does it mean to you? You don't have to be Republican. I don't know. I, I don't, are you a Republican, Binkley? No. no. Uh, you want to label yourself for the audience? Come on. Give me a label. Let me call you something. I'm, I'm a, just kidding. I'm a, you don't I'm have a, to I'm label a, yourself. I'm a libertarian. That's the, closest that, uh, that's the closest I identify with. Right. Okay. So what does it there you go. Well, let's see what your now you've been hanging around with me for a while, so you might actually already know my answer, and that'll ruin you <laughs> to give an un, unbiased answer. But what do you think American exceptionalism means to to most people who think it's good? That's a that's a good question. If, if you're on the right, you're probably America's a, a better country than, than all you come here for opportunity if you're on the left then we need to take everybody under our wing no just the right what do you think the, oh, right, the right republican voters what do you think they think i think they probably think sovereign nation that we are the best country wow in the world. i did not feed you that line and it is perfect for what i'm about to tell you <laughs> this is what it really means what i think people what they always seem to think it means is that American exceptionalism, what they really are hearing is the American experiment, that America is extraordinary because it established this experiment where 
the the people are the sovereigns or the states are the sovereigns or we have the power the government works for us that's that's what's so unique so exceptional about america does that sound reasonable to you yes that's my feeling but what it really means honest to goodness is that we are an exception to the law of nations that we do not have to respect the sovereignty of other nations because we know better we have a privileged position. We are in a special place. And the Law of Nations, Vattel's Law of Nations specifically, was the book most used by our founders in drafting the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you can actually see the parallel language. I've, I found it uh, about when people need to break away from their, from their current government. But I actually got this a good synthesis of it or explanation of it from this J. Fletcher Prouty book. It was, he was Oliver Stone's deep throat from the movie JFK. But he wrote a book in 1992 called uh, JFK. Did you see that movie? I'm just Oliver laughing at Oliver Stone's deep throat. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Well, okay. Sorry. Deep throat was a Watergate thing. I no, should have I know what that. you mean. It's just a. But I'm, yes, I'm a I know. Child. It's not. I'm a child. It's not a pretty. It's not a pretty expression. So actually, you can work blue because we're on a podcast. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to. <laughs> it's not going over the airwaves. Anyway, so let me read you this quote from Fletcher Prouty's book. It's uh, I think it's like on page twenty-four or twenty-five of the book. It says during the post-war years, he's talking about World War Two. A number of important events took place as mankind was herded from the old era to the new. Through the CIA, peacetime operations were carried out, whether or not they were secret and whether or not they could be disclaimed plausibly without benefit of a declaration of a state of war among the adversaries. Okay, so follow me. This was an important shift. Any country, whether it was the United States or the Soviet Union or even a smaller country such as Greece or Israel, that employed its undercover forces in peacetime within the borders of another country with whom it was not officially at war, ignored and degraded the age-old concepts of the independence of nations and of national sovereignty. This, my friend, I'm telling you, is what our country was based on, Vattel's Law of Nations. That is what makes our experiment exceptional, yet they use that. It's like newspeak. To justify things like Syria, invading Syria. Be, Obama dropped 20,000 bombs on Syria last year. This, I mean, that's what it says. To employ forces in peacetime within the borders of another country with whom it is not officially at war. That's what we do. And that's what she means. So how does that grab you? Is that is that too I, much I to digest? That, no, I, I think I totally buy it. And these propaganda books from the 1920s that I, I read all the time because I'm a, a nerd Talk, they talk a lot about one of the things you have to do is convince your country that they are better, they are pristine, they are good. Oh, yeah. And it, that's why it's okay for you to go to war and kill yeah. these other countries. I didn't catch that. I was just looking at the, at the law. It's violated. See, this points something out. When I didn't know that. So, or you said it before, but I didn't make the connection. And I was saying earlier, all you really have to do is always use as a touchstone what you need, what you know to be the objective law, the foundational principle. So I reject this stuff, not because I see the trick that you see, but because I just know it violates the fundamental law. But let me, let me continue. Uh, so I was waiting for her 
I, I knew what she would say next because I know what they're what they're all about. So she writes. So it, she said, "This was a speech." Uh, here's what she said. In fact, we are the indispensable nation. People all over the world look to us and follow our lead. My friends, we are so lucky to be Americans. It is an extraordinary blessing. It is why so many people from so many places want to be Americans too. But it's also a serious, and here was the word I predicted, responsibility. Uh, responsibility implies action, right? Yes. So she go, the last thing is the decisions we make and the actions we take, even the actions we don't take, affect millions, even billions of lives. So highlight the word she said. Have you heard? Uh, if you actually you know, listen to the clip, she said that it is a serious responsibility, and even the actions we don't take can affect millions, even billions of lives. So that, to me, point is a is her justifying violating the sovereignty of other nations. Exactly that that. Might as well have been Roosevelt telling us we need to spread democracy around the world during world or after World War One or during World War One. Wilson or Wilson, yeah, yeah, Woodrow Wilson. Yes, yes, make the world safe for democracy. But what he did was destroy all these monarchies, which were nowhere near <laughs> as invasive as what we have come. I think the I read this in Democracy: The God That Failed by Hans Hermann Hoppe. I believe that's where I read it. That the average tax rate in a in the monarchies of whatever it was that era, the 19th century, was five percent, and now it's like 35 percent, or I mean, in here it can get up to 50 percent or even more. But I had one more little snippet of hers, a couple, two more little snippets. I just I, I know we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, but let me just uh, give you a little bit more. Okay, so she she. <laughs> Listen to the way, listen to the buzzwords she uses here. She says, when we say America is exceptional, it doesn't mean that people from other places don't feel deep national pride just like we do. It means that we recognize America's unique and unparalleled ability to be a force for peace and progress, a champion for freedom and opportunity. Our power comes with a responsibility to lead humbly, thoughtfully, and with a fierce commitment to our values. You hear the catch, the buzzwords in there? Yeah, glittering generalities all through that. Yeah, who, that was uh, Bernays, right? That that was a term that was, I don't know if they created it, but they, they, they made it popular, uh, the Institute for, the Propaganda Institute after World War oh, One. Yeah. Well, these, it's not just glittering generalities. She is using words that she means force, fierce, Power, responsibility, exactly. champion. You, you hear what I'm saying? Like she is telling you that what we need to do is force other people with a fierce commitment to our values to accept our values. These are places where the culture culture is totally different from ours, and they emphasize this Islamic stuff. But the Islam, the Islamic countries were completely transforming. They were they were not pursuing Sharia law at all. They had all secular leaders from Egypt, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan were all secular leaders, but for Western subversion. And then the country that we are most aligned with, Saudi Arabia, does have that kind of so women aren't allowed to drive cars. <laughs> you know? How's That's the our ally. Over there? 
are you implying that <laughs> of course the not. driving is better because they de- they men have a higher rate of accidents? Oh, Don't you know? I really get so many nasty emails when, like, I say, I, someone was telling me that scientific evidence that women getting the vote was like the reason for the downfall of this country, whatever. But uh, seriously, <laughs> people say stuff like that. It makes me crazy. I'm not saying it's not true. I'll open the window to it, but. Woodrow Wilson was the turning point for this country and women did not have the vote when he got elected. So, they'll, but in any case, they'll use whatever tactics they use, dumbing us down. They use, um, universal suffrage. They use it all. Everything. So I, uh, I'll take it, but, um, I'm an excellent driver you... <laughs> to quote rain, man. I'm an excellent driver. What, uh, what, um, what's your comment? What you did, what you just said, I, I would, I would want to know is who exactly is she talking about? I, I would argue that, her creation of this alt-right group a few weeks ago and the way she was talking in that, in that speech where she was including the Democrat or the Republican names, Reagan and all that, she was further trying to solidify the Republicans. Oh, good point. And that, Lincoln's a Republican. Exactly. Too. And, and further trying to separate those mainstream from what she termed the alt-right, and she could be ter- turning aggression instead of to a foreign country. We need to take action against these alt-right people. Uh, yes, she. they don't call her Killary for nothing. Exactly. <laughs> so her final thing, this is, I, I think you'll like this because you key, are as tuned into the scare tactics as I am. She, uh, here's her, the, the last word of her I'm going to give you. Because when America fails to lead, we leave a vacuum that either causes chaos or other countries or networks rush in to fill the void. So that's one thing I've absolutely noticed is, well, we we wouldn't but Russia, but China. And I personally think that Russia and China sit on the Security Council, the five people in the U.N. China at this point is that China's success is a function of a Rockefeller uh, himself. And I think the Rockefeller Foundation study, James Corbett has a great uh, report on that, on China, and talks about Rockefeller transforming China. Uh, Anthony Sutton talks about the Bolshevik revolution being driven because there were competing revolutions and p- competing factions after the Russian, after the czar was killed. And he said the Bolsheviks were favored by American capitalists and that's what gave them their foothold. So I consider Russia and China quite possibly to be this oligarch experiment and that they are going to divide the world up like they're doing now. How do you get Syria? to ally with Russia by scaring them, by attacking them, or vice versa. How do you get these countries to accept the yoke of a superpower without the superpower really having to to totally just invade and take over the way Russia or the Soviet Union used to do? If you can get them to voluntarily sign up for the lesser of two evils, you've got the whole world cordoned off into these factions and then you could just sew them back up and they can rule, you know, you can rule them from the UN. So you can just think of the analogy of the five families in New York. Yeah. They fight out at the corners to see who's getting the corners to see who has the power. But at the end of the day, they sit down in a big meeting and decide how it's going to be. So, so when I, when I hear someone like her saying something like that, that if we don't lead other countries are going to rush in to fill the void, I, I am beginning to think that in itself is a bit of a psyop. So, 
And there that's you go. exactly that's I why Colin Kaepernick dividing people with his protest ticks me off. We need to be uniting <laughs> against these monsters. I don't know what we can do. I, I At this point, we know all this stuff. We talk about it. Tons of people talk about it. You and I are not the only people who talk about this. And we, I, I marched against Obamacare. 99% of the people were against TARP. What's... It's I feel like they tell us this stuff so they can prove to us so they can get it through our heads that we don't uh, that there's really nothing we can do about it. But the fact that they work so hard to get it through our heads makes me think that just being aware of it, just rejecting it in that way is enough. Right. They're trying to make us submit, basically. Yes. But I feel like their their hold on that is as tenuous as their hold on our uh, our minds, our our ideas that whether we believe it or not, I do still think they need the consent. Of I completely the agree. I, I, the, the gladiator quote, you win the crowd, you win your freedom. Well, on that awesome quote, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. That was, thank you so much for your technical help. Binkley. I could not have done it without you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and for all your interesting insights and all the work you brought I really appreciate it. I've gotten uh, a lot of thanks for your putting uh, our show on the on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So let's keep trying to put some stuff out there. Absolutely. What do you think? I think uh, and, yeah. And I'm going to okay, get a little so, better at the technical aspect of this. I was uh, a little off on it today, but I'll improve it. Yeah, we're doing great. Okay, thank you so so much. And uh, if anybody wants to see. Show notes, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on YouTube, go to MonicaPerezShow.com for uh, everything we've referred to that can be linked to, I will put in a blog post. Everything that won't get you put on a list. I am already on a list, and I'm actually on a watch list. I have to use my maiden name when I travel, so I don't know what that's all about. That's a topic for another day, I know. Anyway, thank you so much, Bigley, uh, and until next time, this is Monica Perez. Time to put it right. Cause they all corrupt. Have you had enough? Or be a dividend? Have you had enough?